0: Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, This really started maybe like six months ago, seven months ago, that it's the beginning of a week of parenting seminars that we're holding throughout East Texas. Um, Andy Hill and Will Hagel and I got together and just talked about Instead of doing concerts like we usually produce, why don't we do something different so we're offering seminars? So tonight I'll be back here from 6 to 8 o'clock to talk about parenting stuff and grandparenting stuff. And if you work with kids, then you need to be here. Grandparents, you need to be here too. Uh, there's a special role that you play in, in all of this. And, and uh, tomorrow night we're in uh, Spring Hill, and then the next morning we're at a church that doesn't play any music across the street. What is that? The Church of Christ. Um, so we'll be rocking there. Um, now, that's from 9 until 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning. And then Tuesday night, we'll be at Gilmer High School. And, and then on Wednesday night, we'll be at your competition, New Beginnings Baptist Church. And um, uh, they kind of challenged you guys to see who can have the most people there. And buy the most books, and um, and uh, then the next day we're at First Baptist Church uh, with grandparents from four until six o'clock in the afternoon. So it's really seven seminars throughout the week, but the whole intent is just to spend a little bit of time um, helping parents. You know, it's it's interesting. It was. Two days ago was the 50th anniversary of my first date with my wife. She wasn't my wife then. Um, We were in ninth grade. And my mom and I drove over and picked Jan up and took us to this Christian concert in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, The band was Led Zeppelin. And and so uh, that was our first date and we got married a few years later, after we got out of high school. We've been married 45 years now, and and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we've made, we've made it through the COVID and a house remodel this year. We can make it through anything, and so I think we'll be okay. But it's interesting that when when I was 19 years old, somebody came up to me and said, "Would you?" Well, we were in college. I went to University of Arkansas to swim and uh, competitively, and she went to Baylor University to to do the nursing thing. We came back to Tulsa after our first year because I got sick of chlorine. And, and, uh, and so came back, and somebody walked up to us within the first week and said, would you, like to, would you like to lead a Young Life Club? And I go, and Young Life's just an outreach to kids. And I said, sure, we'll do that. Within two weeks, a dad walked up to me and said, I'm struggling with my son. I don't know what to do. Uh, and I'm going, well, neither do I. So why don't you just let him come live with me? And so he has. He's now the orthopedic surgeon for the Oregon Ducks. And, uh, and so interestingly enough, throughout the years, every couple of months, people would say, as I was pursuing a degree in finance and real estate investments, they would say, we're struggling with our kids. What do we do? I'd say, come live with us. So we did that, Jane and I got married, then girls would come start living with this, and we, back and forth, back and forth. Church came to me and said, would you work for us? I said, absolutely not. I'll never work for a church. They said, well, pay for college. I go, I'm in, I'm in, and uh, I can do this. And uh, so did that for a while, moved to Branson, Missouri, where we were at a Christian sports camp there called Camp Cannecock. I left that 32 years ago and came here to Hallsville, Texas, and... Um, And where we live off Highway 80 and started a place called Heartlight. We got 60 high school kids that live with us. Um, They come from all over the country and other countries. They've, I mean, just all over the place. Uh, A third of the kids that are with us uh, have been adopted, Um, a third have been homeschooled, Um, and a third are Southern Baptist. And so, uh, so, if, if you're a Southern Baptist that's homeschooling your adopted child, we have applications for you out back, and, and you may need that. I'm joking, I'm joking. That's not the point of me being here. But anyway, so we have 60 kids that live with us, with a staff that live out there. But we've now had over, truly, over 3,000 kids that have lived with us throughout the years, which has been somewhat crazy for us. And their kids are great kids, they're wonderful kids. Um, Love them to death on most days, and uh, on other days maybe not so much, but they're great kids, but they're just like your kids, and they're just like my kids. Just something's gone wrong, they've made a poor decision, something tragic has happened to them, and it's just different. When I was in my 20s, there was a book that was written called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Some of y'all have heard of that. When I was 30, I wanted to write a book called I'm Okay, You're Not. And I just thought it had a ring to it because I was that selfish. That selfishness caused Jan and I to have to go through counseling when we were 40. And so I wanted to write a book then called, uh, I'm Not Okay and Neither Are You. When I turned 50, I wanted to write a book called, I'm Not Okay and I Don't Care Anymore. (laughs) Because I really don't. You know, I just don't care. I mean, I know. I got a letter not long ago that said, Dear Mark, please send us back our mustache signed 1880. You know, I know it's outdated, but you know what? I don't care. You know I mean? I don't wear skinny jeans like all these other guys up here walking around. I go, okay, that's. I don't look good in skinny jeans. And, you know, my hairstyle has been outdated for like a billion years. I really don't care. When I turned 60, I wanted to write write a book called Tasering Kids God's Way. I just... (laughs) I think it has a ring to it. I think it has a ring. I don't know whether I'm gonna be able to find anybody to publish it. I'm working on another book right now. It's called Shut Your Pie Hole and Learn to Listen. And somebody goes, you can't say that. And I go, well, I'll do it in honor of my dentist, you know, Krista Dar or something. I mean, cause she always works in my mouth or something. I'm going, there's something about, you know, when you get a little bit older, you realize what's important and what's not important. You learn to laugh just a little bit more. You learn to let loose. You're not so serious about everything. And so as I've gotten a little bit older, I've just realized some stuff. Matter of fact, I was in the Portland airport um, probably about eight months ago on my 65th birthday, which was hard for me to believe. I don't feel any different than when I was 21 years old. And and so I'm sitting there at the end of a five-day speaking deal. I spend... 200 nights on the road uh, going around the country. I have over 6 million miles on American Airlines. I am trying to take concepts we learn from these kids and share them with people so that you never have to send your child to live with us. That's the whole point of it. And so it's just saying, let's, let's share some of this knowledge and wisdom that we're kind of gaining. So I was on this little tour and finished up. I checked in my car and, and then got out of the car and checked in my baggage. And I was just sitting down, just sitting down. It was like 6 o'clock in the morning. I was just tired. Here it is, my 65th birthday. And I'm just sitting there in a chair going like this, going, man, I'm tired. I'm just tired maybe it is time to slow down. This is wearing me out. 200 nights on the road. You know, I'm away from the things that I love and out doing this. I'm tired. I'm tired. Maybe, maybe I just don't have it anymore. And I was just sitting there just kind of stewing and having a little pity party on my 65th, singing happy birthday to myself and, you know, just doing this and all of a sudden, this 23, 24-year-old girl walks by, and she just stops, and she turns and looks at me and winks. So she goes on, and I'm sitting there and go, well, maybe I still got it, you know. And So she comes back by in a few minutes, and she walks by, and she stops again, and she winks at me. She walks on, and I'm going, I still got it. I need to call my wife and tell her I still got it. I still got it, hun. Hey, I got it. I got it. She walks back about 20 feet from me and starts walking toward me, and I'm just looking at her going, and she goes, sir, do you need a wheelchair? Oh man, just. mm, mm, mm. (laughs) Scripture says that gray hair is the glory of old men. I believe that to be true. I have earned every gray hair I've got. And I'm kind of proud of it now. I used to pluck out the gray hairs, you know, out of my mustache. Now I pluck out, you know, the black ones to make it shine a little bit more. But I've learned a lot with turning colors. And maybe having a little bit more gray hair, realizing what's important, what's not important, what's worth fighting for, what's not worth fighting for, how important family is, how important relationships are. There's something about getting a little bit older. That's why, that's why the last service, it's an older service, and they laugh more. Isn't that funny? Now, they all have masks on, you know. I mean, it's just different. But I'm going, there's something about learning to laugh and letting it go. There's a scripture that that, that has stuck with me since I was 19. I was Oklahoma Bible quiz champ in 1969. But there's also, what, for Oklahoma or 1969? Were you at Woodstock? Is that what it was? No. But there's a Scripture that has stuck with me, and it's become even more real to me today, and it's out of First Thessalonians second chapter, verse 5. Do you all have your Bible? Do you all read Scripture here? Okay, it's a good thing. Do you all listen to country music? You'd, you'd be healthier if you did. And, um, so read your Bible and listen to country music. Okay, here we go. It says, for we never came to you with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. And nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. This is what I want you to pick up. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. This is the key. And having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day to not be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly, And uprightly and blameless, we behave toward you. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring, which is kind of like warning, appealing, and inspiring, you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner that's worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory." I believe that God has placed us in positions, Bob Goff says it's right, um, that God speaks to us through other people, that he uses all of us as vessels for one another. I believe that, that we're to parent our kids and grandparent our kids like God parents us. That just as Jesus was the visible expression of the invisible God, that we as parents and grandparents are supposed to be the visible expression of God himself to our kids and to our family. I believe that there's something about the, the Word that we've hidden in our hearts and out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth will speak, that the Word is made flesh in us so that we can share it with those loved ones that are around us. There is something about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and using us as, as vessels of love and acceptance and engagement and embracing and unconditional love. Somebody made a comment once that the root of all mental illness, and if you're psychiatrists, you don't have to agree with this, the root of all mental illness is the fear that love may be unconditional. No, I'm sorry, that love may be conditional. There's something about the way that we can love when we are believers when we've allowed God to give us the opportunity to show us how to love deeper, that we can offer something that nobody else can. That we can offer grace, that we can forgive, that we can say that we're wrong, that we can engage with people at a core level, not just a surface level. And so I want to divide this up because I think, I think that if you, have a relac- if you have a discipline problem, you have a relationship problem, And those relationship problems have an amazing way of building up in our lives and get in between relationships, the very thing that God wants to use to talk to us and show us things. And that lack of engagement is causing a little bit of difficulty. Young people, you know this to some degree. You don't have the depth of relationships that other people in this room have had because you spend so much time connecting online or something that you don't spend time face-to-face. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I can't live without this stupid thing. I mean, I'm attached to it all the time. I get it. But here's the thing. What happens when we, don't dis, when we disengage from one another is that we don't grow. You don't have the iron sharpening iron like one man sharpens the other. And so as a result, the American Medical Association has increased the age of adolescence to age 27. The American Journal of Adolescent Psychiatry has increased it to age 26. So at a time that that kids need to be making bigger decisions because of the craziness of this culture, and I'm not an anti-world kind of guy, they are less mature to do so. And so we have a role as a parent and a grandparent to engage our kids so that we're not just teaching them the first 12 years of their life, but we're training them up for the way that they should go. And that should be a concern to every one of us in this room because 84% of kids are leaving the church, going on a little hiatus upon graduation from high school. They come back, but they go on a little break. And so if you have preteens, how many of you all have preteens? Anybody? Cool. Okay, Let me. This is. I'm going to direct this to you just a little bit. I'm going to encourage you to pour your life into your kids because you're going to need it. They're going to need it. And once they turn 11 or 12, you have got to shift your parenting style to accommodate the new needs, because if you don't, you will fail as a parent. That's the only time I tell people that they're wrong. The only time. You've got to shift your parenting style to engage with a whole new, almost culture of kids That respond and react a little bit different. Because we spend the first six years of a kid's life pleasing them. The next five or six years, we spend time protecting them. They'd kill themselves. They would would actually kill themselves if we didn't protect them. And then when they get in middle school, we provide for them and we start that thing about providing. And we never move to the fourth P, which is all about preparing them for the next stage in life. You following me? There's something important about pouring our life and having that relationship, but you have to know this as a parent of a preteen. You need some new tools in your parenting toolbox when they turn 11 or 12. The kids that live with us, that's when problems started. And part of it was because of parents. Part of it was because of tragedy and difficulty and hardships and all that. But there's something about that that just says, just know that that's coming. That's what we'll spend our time tonight talking about a lot. So pour your life into your kids. How many of y'all have teens? How many of you are parents of teens? Okay, I'm gonna tell you this. You know, it's it's interesting to me that that um, it's interesting to me that that what your teens probably want more than anything else is wisdom. Struggling in a world that that lacks wisdom but probably wanting wisdom more than anything else and the tendency is that they want it because they're not getting it because what they're getting is information a lady on a zoom call we did the other day she said this she said i want to be an alexa and siri and google to my kids and i wanted to say what are you stupid that no you don't that's nothing but information and you know what I've got all the information in the world right here. i got the Library of Congress on my phone. I have access to anything. Hey, Siri, how many people died in the Civil War? According to Battlefields.org, approximately 620,000 soldiers died from combat, accident, starvation, and disease during the Civil War. This number comes from a 1,889 study of the war performed by William F. Fox and Thomas Leonard Livermore. If all you are is a source of information, I don't need you. Moms, can I say this as a little kiss and a slap? Here's the slap. To all you moms and grandmas, you got to quit talking so much. you got to quit talking so much. If, if, you were just a source of information, because <invalidation> this is what's happening. It's like when I watch Fox News. Yeah, piup, yeah, piup, yeah, piup, yeah, piup, yeah, piup, yeah, 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 yeah. Does anybody here work for Fox? <areaodo> yeah, piup, yeah, piup, yeah, piup, yeah, piup, yeah, piup, yeah, 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 yeah. I get that better to hear. So I get so sick of it. I may agree with everything that's being said, but I'm done. I turn it off, and I go. I just need to rest my brain. It's like Facebook or even Instagram. Facebook. I mean, it's interesting. It's just never ending. It quits. You keep scrolling through reading about everybody else all the time. I mean, somebody's dog just had puppies. Somebody's cat died. You know what I mean? Somebody's mom is in the hospital and having surgery tomorrow. Go fund this. Go fund that. You know, some moron did 2,000 push-ups in 20 minutes and and somebody else memorized the book of Hebrews in Spanish backwards, you know, and I'm just going, and everybody's on vacation but me. You find, you, and so it's just so much. I've just got to stop. I just go, i got to quit. It's too much information. So moms and grandmothers, if all you do is spew information all the time, your kids will turn you off. That's the slap. Here's the kiss. Every man in this room knows this that any one of you women in this room possesses more wisdom than all the men in this room put together. Any one of you. Yeah, you can clap, it's okay. (laughs) Because a bunch of women were getting ready to walk out, you know. You know that, and this is, so if you're just a source of information, you're not needed anymore, but here's the tragedy. Your kids will never hear the wisdom that you possess and the wisdom that they so desperately need. Even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. A fool delights in airing his opinion following me? Second part of this is this. This is really to you dads as well. I interview kids all the time. We podcast, radio, everything. I'm always interviewing kids. And as I sit down and listen, 95% of the answers to this question, when I say, you have hundreds of thousands of people listening to you right now, What one thing could your parents have done differently if they have a child like you? What could they have done differently to keep you from struggling? You know what the answer is? 90, 95% of the time? I wish they would have listened. I just wish they would have listened. Chuck Swindoll and I, who some of you don't know who he is, other ones know who he is, but did some parenting things together and and he said, Mark, I can tell you how to be a successful parent in one word. And this is a guy like, like is 150 years old. You know, I mean, he knows everything. And uh, I don't think he's that old. Maybe he's 145. And, but he's a dear, dear man. I've been a fan of his all my life. But he says, I can give you one word. Listen. In the clutter of all the world, everything going on, if you're a parent of a high school kid, the number one thing you can do is listen. Listen, not to figure out how to respond, but listen so that you'll understand. You follow me? Okay, grandparents. How many of y'all are grandparents? Isn't this grandparent thing, thing great? Grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. I'm convinced of it. It is. My daughter looks at me all the time and she says, I've got, I've got four grandkids, 19... 14 8 and 7 I think but my 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 daughter looks at me and she goes dad it's almost like you like them more than us and she goes no i'm serious she goes it's like you want to spend time with them a lot more than us i do i do but this is the role you play. You're not, you're, you're not a parent. If you're a grandparent, you're not a parent on steroids. You're not supposed to be another parent in their life. You're supposed to be a grandparent. Your home ought to be a place of rest on the side. I never correct my grandkids because I want them to come to a place that they don't have to be corrected. I don't preach at them all the time. We'll talk a lot about that tonight and later on this week. But one of your roles, One of your roles is to make sure that you're giving your grandkids perspective. It comes with a little bit of gray hair when you learn what's important and what's not important. My granddaughter, Macy, who was here at the last service, wanted to, and her, my other granddaughter, wanted to go see Taylor Swift, T-Swizzle. I met her when she was 14 and and, uh, a dear young lady and and, uh, a wonderful entertainer and so I said, "Um, why don't we go? And I charged my daughter with buying the tickets. Well, I'm at the age, I'm at the age that, that I wanna sit in the front. I mean, I just wanna sit in the front. When I go to a concert, somebody invites me to go to concert, I go, where are we sitting? Before I answer. If we're not sitting up front, I'm not going because I've earned it. I've just earned it. I need to be up front, that's where I wanna be. So my daughter buys the tickets she buys the tickets and we're walking in. I mean, it's me and 20,000 little girls dressed like Taylor Swift, screaming like crazy. I've never felt like more of a man than, than being around 20,000, you know, women. And, and so we're walking to the back of the arena in Shreveport. And I and we keep going around, going around, going around. We're going to the back. We're going to the back. Matter of fact, we were so far in the back, we we're on the back row. And every time I did this, my head hit concrete. See, look, this is what it did. It wore everybody, everybody there, just their hair was gone on the back of their head because they kept hitting their head against the concrete. And I'm just complaining. I go, this is awful. This is miserable. This is horrible. There, any, there isn't anything worse in the world right now than, than us sitting in the back, the very back, next to the concrete. This is awful. This is pathetic. I mean, I can't stand this. And my daughter's going, Dad, why don't you just shut up? Okay, okay. I'll just shut up. I can't believe we're... Taylor Swift comes out, and she's about that big. You know, she's a mile and a half up there. She comes out, she looks like an ant playing a guitar. I mean, I'm just going, I can't even... Okay, whatever. So I said, girls, why don't you stand here? You can see a little bit better. You can watch. And so... So I'm just standing there. They goes into the concert and I'm stewing, calming down a little bit, sitting there going, This is awful, this is miserable, everything else. My granddaughter turns around and looks at me. She goes, Papa, these are the best seats in the house. I go, Well, why would you say that? She goes, because you could see everything from here. We were able to see the back of everyone's head. You could see the electrical lighting, the staging, the plumbing, the sewerage. You, you could see it all. You could see it all. And I looked at her, and I go, well, that's, that's neat. And um, <laughs> here, girls, stand here. I'll just stand over here and, you know, straining my eyes. I had, my eyeball popped that night. I was straining so hard. Tried to see Taylor. Popped. And I'm sitting there, and after about 45 minutes, all of a sudden, Taylor's not on stage. And within a minute, she is standing right here next to me, just right here. And they pulled up a mic and stuck it next to her, and, and her guitar string was wound, and, and it kind of poked me. But I ended up moving, and I, and I came back here so that the girls could see her. And she sat there and sang the next three songs. You know, back here with all these people that are scraping the hair off the back of their head. And she's saying, and then she left, and I'm just sitting there and, and going, that's just something else. And then my granddaughter looks at me, Macy looks at me, and she goes, See, Papa, I told you these were the best seats in the house. That is perspective. It's not your opinion because really nobody wants your opinion. But teens are dying for perspective. Help me gain perspective of all this craziness. So if it's pre-teens, do this. Pour your life into your kids. If it's teens, listen and quit sharing information. Grandparents, give perspective Give perspective. To the young people that are here, I would just say this. Um, You were created for more than what technology would lead you to believe. I just want you to know that. If you don't remember anything, you were created for more than what technology would lead you to believe. That's all I want to tell you. And to everybody, I would tell you this. You need to lighten up. You need to lighten up. We are too serious about this thing called parenting and grandparenting. All you young people in the room, you're too stiff. You need to lighten up. Laughter is a form of worship. It's because we know who we are and whose we are at the same time. There's something about engaging that way. And so there's a part of it where I would say, lighten up, learn to loosen up, be something different, engage differently. You don't have to be so strict. You don't have to be so... But you need to be relational. Now, all you parents and grandparents, God has used you to play and has placed you in a position of influence. It's a responsibility that he has carved into this thing called family. And if you feel like you can't make it, let me tell you, you can. Because anything that has come to you is first passed through the hands of God. And the second part of that is this, anything that gets to you is to transform you more into His image. So take advantage of the opportunity that God has placed you in. He's going to use you in a mighty way. He's going to use you to help your kids get through this time. Grandparents, don't think as you made it, I'm going to go buy an RV and run to Florida play shuffleboard the rest of your life. God's keeping you around because he, he needs your gray hair and wisdom for a generation that's desperate for that. So take advantage of it because God has placed you there for a reason. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the way that you have held us in the palm of your hand. Thank you for the way that you have built families. Thank you for the way that you stick with us would you help us stick with those around us would you help us communicate the message you've given to us to everybody we know that there's nothing you can do to make me love you more and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less father we love you we pray that you will give us your wisdom your guidance your direction and that you would stand beside us and walk with us in all the days of our life it's in your son's name we pray Amen.